Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. We're in a series called Real Community where we're exploring the way of Jesus for life together. And I want you to think about the community that is in your life. Think about the people that you have around you, the friends that you have. Now, I want you to picture one person in particular, and we'll see if you can. I want you to think, do you have a friend in your life that is incredibly flaky? A friend that tends to bail really easily. I think I heard some laughter, so some of you are picturing that person right now. If you're sitting beside them, don't look and go, this is you, because they'll leave, because they're flaky. No, because we love them. We have people in our lives where we make plans with them, and we commit to doing something, and inevitably they are the first to cancel. If it's a group setting and you have a group text, they're the first one. They're like, I'm out. And then it's like a, it's like a deluge of more people going, me too, I can't make it also. I just, I just realized it just this moment as this one person said they couldn't come. I also realized I can't come. And they create this, this ongoing bit of flakiness. Or, or, or you set plans and you just don't hear from them. And you're like, I guess that means they're not coming. And they're like, oh yeah, weird. Yeah, my phone didn't work for those 15 minutes that... I probably could have been texting you or the week before that, and they bail on us. We all have people in our lives that they promise to do something and they find any reason to bail. Now, for some people, it's connected to something called FOBO. FOBO, F-O-B-O, fear of better options. There's this fear of committing to anything because what if something better comes? What if I miss out on the best opportunity? FOBO, especially for any of our students, can become a thing because you're like, I don't know if I want to commit to any kind of school or, or career path because what if there's a better one? And what if I miss it? And what if I pick the wrong one? And, and when, it comes to, when it comes to connecting to each other, there's this fear of committing. What if, what if I commit to something, but that's not the best thing that I could do on the Friday? What if there's someone cooler or more fun or something that's even better? I don't know if I want to commit to doing something with someone because what if something better comes along? And we have FOBO. And these friends are often hedging their bets on their schedule to hopefully find something that is better. And the most reliable thing about these friends is that they are unreliable. Their unreliability becomes incredibly reliable. You can't count on them, except for the fact that you can count that you can't count on them. We have friends in our life that struggle with being flaky. And and if you don't have a friend like that, or a family member like that, either you're really good at setting boundaries, or you are that friend. And you're thinking right now, like, I do that, where... I don't commit fully. Like you say things like, well, I should be able to make it. Just say no. Like the truth is when you say certain things, you you intend to try to get out of it. You intend to to not actually follow 
through. You're going to go spend time with someone. You've planned something, and something better comes up, and you go, can I get out of my previous commitment? Can I cancel this other friend so I can spend time and do something even better? I want you to think about in your own life, when, you're, when you have something show up that seems to be better, but you've already committed, what's your reaction? Do you try to get out of it, or do you commit to your Plans? Do you keep your commitments? What does your life actually say? Can I just let you know as we look at real community, if we want to build real community, if we want to be people that experience real community, we have to be a community that builds trust. Trust is the currency with which our, our community actually is strengthened. And you want to know how to build trust in community? You continually show up when you say you will. You show up when you say you're going to. You show up when you, when you, say, when you say that you're gonna be there. You mean it. You follow through. And you show with your actions that your words actually matter. And we're in an interesting moment where words are somehow enough for some people. Well, I said that I was gonna do it. I didn't do it. And we go, there's a gap between those things. We build community and we build trust in community when our, our words are actually followed through with our actions. In a culture where, be, where being flaky and bailing is increasingly becoming a problem, I want to suggest to you that the way of Jesus for community is a community of commitment. That we can represent something different than what we see around us in our world. There is a quote that was uh, that I found this week as I was doing some research that was by this author and pastor named Harry Buis, and he said this. He said, unfaithfulness in the key relationships of life is a common failure for many people in contemporary society. This lack leads to so much misery. We who trust Christ must not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. What wonderful blessings flow from faithfulness in keeping our vows. Examine your life. Is it characterized by faithfulness? God is faithful. He keeps his promises to us. Keep your promises to God and to those with whom you have entered into covenant. This is a significant invitation. We want to build the kind of community that is built on commitment that we are committed to one another, that we are faithful in our promises to each other. And I wanna spend some time talking about what it means to actually build a, a community of commitment, but before we do, let's pray. God, I am very aware that in a conversation like this that, that I will step on some toes and I will step into some areas that some of us, including me, would rather not actually confront in ourselves. God, I pray that your voice would come through, that you would convict and challenge us, that we would not feel shame or condemnation, but, but we would honestly reflect on, on the kind of relationships that we have, the community that we're building, and the choices that we make. God, I pray that you would build in us a community of commitment, that you would help us to be a community that builds trust by continually showing up for people. God, we love you. I need you, we need you. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I wanna encourage you to grab your Bible if you brought it. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, or if you have a Bible and it's at home, you should 
you should bring it in with you. But if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we would love to help you out. You can talk to one of us at the Next Steps table and just say, hey, I need a Bible. We'd love to set you up. Uh, Increasingly, I had a conversation with Pam on the team about the value of a physical Bible, and I, I thought a lot about it. Anyone else notice that when you set aside time to be focused, that that's when your phone starts going off? Like you're like, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna create space to be present, and you're like getting alerts on your phone, notifications. You know what's really fascinating about a paper Bible? There are no notifications on it. It's really crazy. If you take your phone, I learned this, if you take your phone and you hit do not disturb, and then you put it down, This doesn't show the text messages you got or the Instagram message you got. It doesn't show any of that. And I I just think, I never want it to be like a legalistic thing where it's like, you better bring your Bibles, otherwise we don't love you. That is not how we, that's not how we operate. I do think that there's a rhythm of actually a physical Bible that is restorative for our souls. You know that that the rates of anxiety went up uh, at the biggest peak when the iPhone was first released? Like, we just are constantly connected, and we're constantly distracted. And I wonder about the, the value for us to actually just be present. And so I want to I read from Matthew. So if you have a Bible, go to Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Matthew 5. I'll give you a chance. Matthew 5, verse 33. Okay, so... This is Jesus speaking, and he says this in verse 33. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, this is Jesus speaking, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. So this passage is from a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to this large crowd of people. It's, it's, one of, it's the longest uninterrupted teaching that we have in Scripture. And he's teaching about what it means to experience a new way of life, the kingdom of God, the world as it should be. And he's speaking about all of these powerful and significant things. And here we have this one little section plucked in between. If you have your Bibles, you'll notice two sections. One before that talks about divorce, And the one after that talks about revenge. Okay, divorce and revenge, those kind of fit together. But then in the middle, we have vows and swearing oaths. And we're wondering, what does this mean? And what is the implications of this? Now, he's saying we don't want to be people that swear vows or take vows or swear oaths. And for so many of us, there's a bit of confusion because where's the really the only place that we see vows taken is in weddings, And we're like, wait, is that wrong? Jesus isn't talking about vows in the context of covenant relationship between a man and a woman. He's not doing any of that. Instead, Jesus is speaking to something that was happening culturally at the time. This tendency in the people that were around him, the Jewish people, to say something 
and swear on whoever they decide to with no intention of actually following through. Jesus is speaking to a loophole that people are trying to create for themselves. Now, we do that. Like, we look at some of this and go, I don't know that the last time that I've swore on my head, right? Jesus is like, don't swear on your head. Unless you have gray hair and you're like trying to turn your hair black, he's saying, you can't even do that. We're not doing that, but we say things like, what? Man, I promise. Well, you said last time that you'd be there. No, this time I promise. I'll be there. Hand to heart. Swear on my life. Or we say, on God, I'll be there. Now, anytime we have to say something like that, it should probably be an indicator that our word is not very trustworthy. Right? If we have to, no, I promise, I promise, this time will be different. That, that if we have to swear, and in this case, what, what happened is people actually wanted to lie. They intended to lie, but they wanted to communicate in a way that made people think, actually, no, they're saying this, this before God. And so because their words were not trustworthy, they had to rely on God. So they're going, uh, I know you can't trust my words, but on God, I, I actually, I mean this. And so there's this hope, like maybe they'll take me seriously because I use the name of God. And anytime we use the name of God to, to encourage our lying, God is not okay with it. Like God does not look at that and go, yeah, use my name to lie to people. This is great. At least you're saying my name. No. And so Jesus is looking at this scenario and people and he's saying, this is a problem. If swearing an oath becomes a way to excuse and justify lying and dishonesty, this is not good. Swearing an oath at this time represented an out. So you could say something but go, well, I, I swear it on Jerusalem, not by Jerusalem, so it doesn't really count. Have you ever noticed people that do that? They're like, well, no, I didn't say I would be there. I said I might be there. And you're like, thanks. Next time, just say you won't be there. Right? We use our words and we try to avoid things or say things and try to get out of it. We create loopholes. This is something that we still do. And notice what Jesus says to this tendency. Then and 2,000 years later, still to us, and he understands us, he says this. Just say a simple, yes, I will. Or, no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Like he cuts right to the heart of us. He cuts right to the heart of the people that are listening and directly to us. And the truth is today that this area is a struggle for many people increasingly and especially for our younger generation. This tendency to have your words actually not mean very much and your commitment level being low or in your friendships where people bail on you or they become flaky, that's becoming more of a consistent challenge. And we don't necessarily relate to everything that Jesus is saying because we don't tend to swear by, by whatever we do, but we do notice that people, and if we're not careful, careful us, use our words flippantly and make commitments to others flippantly, without any actual, any actual intention to follow through on what we say. Like, think about even in the church, and we say to someone like, no, I'm there for you. I'm there for you if you need it. And then they call you at an inconvenient time, and you're like, not right now. Like, I'm there for you between business hours on Tuesdays. 
Or we say to people, and this is like the classic thing we say, if we're not careful, we say as Christians, I'll pray for you with no intention of actually doing it. Which is why I think there's a significant value, and we do it often in our church, where like someone needs prayer, we're gonna pray right now. We're gonna do it right now. We say certain things with no actual intention of following through on them. And if we're not careful, what we do is we find the commitments that we make to others and we try to find a way out depending on how we feel in that moment. And so our, our words and our commitments don't guide us. Instead, we try to find the loophole exactly like Jesus is talking about. And Jesus cautions and challenges us as followers of the way of Jesus. And he says, just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. See, the brilliance about Jesus is he can be speaking to a group 2,000 years ago and still to us, and we recognize that Jesus understands humanity. He understands the human heart. He understands this tendency that we have to say things that we don't actually mean, and he's saying, listen, in my kingdom, my way of life, this is not okay. That in my way of life that you need to say what you mean and mean what you say. And notice he's saying, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Can we just camp out on that last one for a second? No, I won't. No, I won't. Um, some of us need to practice that. Like, just say it with me. No. 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 That is an acceptable response to some things. It is okay to say to someone that's, they're like, hey, can you come over and help me move a bunch of stuff? Or can you commit to doing this? And you go, you're thinking like, I know I, I, know I can't. It is okay to say, you know what? I can't do it. It's also okay for some of those things. You don't have to justify every single thing. Some of us really struggle with boundaries. Some of us, we say yes to everything, which inevitably means we'll accidentally say no to a bunch of things. Some of us need to just get better at saying no. Hey, uh, do you wanna come over and hang out four nights this week? No. Hey, do you want to watch my children and you hate kids? No. Right? And you're like, I'll go. And then you're like, I hate this. I hate them. I hate this plate. Whatever. Like, it's okay to actually say no. But what's not okay is to say yes knowing that you're saying no. Because some of us do that. We're like, oh, yeah. Like, this is the worst one. It drives me nuts. When someone's like, I'll get back to you knowing they do not intend to get back to you. Right? Someone's like, no, I'll get, like, some of us, let's be honest, have been guilty of that. Yeah, yeah, let me just, I'll get back to you. And then it takes the other person again going, hey, so did you think about, yeah, you know what, I should be able to do it. Which means no, just say no. It is okay to say no to things. It's okay for us to look at our lives and actually choose the things that we have that we are saying, no, I'm unwilling to do that. But when we say yes, and we don't follow through, trust is eroded with people. And if we wanna create a community that's healthy and vibrant, and we say yes, but mean no, and don't follow through, we create a culture that is not committed to each other and that does not trust each other's words. Some of us need to say no, some of us need to be willing to upfront say, no, I can't do it. But many of us, and I would say most of us, need to be the kind of people that actually are willing to commit and say, yes, I will. 
that the yes, I will, and, and applying that, actually doing that and following through represents the way of Jesus. We have to, as Christians, we have to be people that stand by what we say. We have to be people that when we commit to something, that our words actually count. Because if people are looking at us and they're like, man, this Christian, they commit to things and they bail on it, that does not create an environment where people see us as trustworthy. We want to be people that follow through on what we say. Uh, It always drives me nuts when I make plans with someone and then they send the last minute like, hey, we still good for like, have something, it's coffee on a Tuesday, and then I get a text, it's like, hey, we still good for Tuesday? Uh, yeah, we committed to Tuesday, it's in my calendar. And then I realize that's because most people, that's their chance to bail. Hey, we still good for Tuesday? Actually, I just realized right now, just right now, I didn't know before, uh, I can't make that. And you're like, okay, I'm at Starbucks, waiting for you, but it's cool. I'll just hang out by myself. I actually had a meeting one time that I was, I was meeting with a, one of the people in our youth ministry's dads. He reached out to me, and he's like, can we meet? And then just didn't show up. It's like a grown man. And then afterwards, thought it was funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, he just showed up, sat there. I'm like, that's funny to you? Like, I look at it and go, when we put something in our calendar, if we commit to something, that that should not, there's not room to go, like, actually, you know what, today, I just don't feel like it. That we actually do what we say. It's why I struggle with some of the social things. Like, you know when people say, hey, man, we should hang out. And you know they have no intention of actually hanging out. I'm like, just don't say it. Like, we don't need to play that game. Like, I'm not that insecure that I need to be like, oh, man, dude, we have to hang out together. Because there are some people that go, no, we don't. We're good. Like, I, I love you from afar. <laughs> we don't need to hang out together. We should be really atten- intentional about when we say that to someone. Like, do we actually mean that? If we're saying, hey, we should grab coffee this week, do we have any intention of actually following through on that? Because if we do, just a practical thing, pull out your phone and put in your calendar right then. And do not give each other the text message, hey, are we still good for If we want to invest in relationships or people, we should invest in relationships or people. Words are not actions. Saying it is not the same as doing it. If we say that someone is valuable but our actions do not prove that, guess what they see? That they are not valuable. And we do not want that. Jesus says, say a simple yes I will or no I won't. And on one hand, you might hear this and go, okay, I get it, this is so simple, but it's so significant in our cultural moment right now. I wanna help us to understand why it is so massive that we as followers of the way of Jesus are people that demonstrate that we can be trusted to follow through when we say something. We're in a season and a time where institutional trust is at its all-time low, okay? People, like, let's be honest, don't particularly trust the government, don't particularly trust uh, large corporations, and increasingly don't trust the church as an institution. Okay, so we're in this scenario where there is a lack of institutional trust. And then beyond that, there's also some, some hesitation even with people in church. Like It used to be that if you said to people you didn't know, I'm involved in a church, they'd go, wow, that's amazing. I get now where it's like, oh, you're like, I guess that conversation's done. 
It's increasingly not seen as a valuable thing. Now, there's been a move that I've seen, and one of the choices is we can go, yeah, we need to take them down. We need to do better. We need to share every single thing that has ever gone wrong with any institution and just tell everyone about it, which is a partial solution. Exposure is good, but at what point do you move to any kind of healing through any of that? I want to suggest to you a better way for us that actually requires ownership. See, we can parrot things and say things and go, yeah, everyone in the church is the worst, everyone in organizations is the worst, the government's the worst, but what does it look like for us as Jesus followers to actually do something about it? It takes individual ownership. If institutional trust is low, we actually get to rebuild it on a personal level. If we become Christians that actually follow through on what we say, when people are around us that are not Christians and they go, you know what, I have Christians in my life and they are way more committed to me and to relationship than all of my other non-Christian friends, suddenly we represent an alternative to the counterculture. And it's so easy for us to go, you know, someone else should fix it. Like we need to tear down the structure of the church and someone else will do it. It's a lot harder for us to go, I have a role to play in rebuilding this. And not for the sake of the institution, but because one person at a time, one life at a time, we can restore trust with people. And there's a degree of going like, I don't know if I want to commit to that. That seems like a lot. Yeah. And yet it is so necessary in this moment. In a moment like we are in where so much is in flux and there is so, in flux and there is so much chaos and unsteadiness, there is anxiety and depression for us to be people that are stable with others, like, listen, we can't control everything that is going on around us, but we can control the level to which we commit to the things that we say we're committed to. And when we do that, we can rebuild trust in the person of Jesus, not the institution, and his church that he is building. There is this passage in Psalm 15, verse 4, that has challenged me for many, many years. And if you've ever read Psalm, Psalms, many of them are written by David of David and Goliath. And, and he'll write these poems oftentimes when he is in difficult scenarios. And in Psalm 15, there's this list of things, and it is so beautiful and challenging, as he's talking about this list of the people that dwell with God. Now, for those of us that are Jesus followers, we want to be with God, we don't want to just do religious things and just check off boxes. We want to be present with God. And, and so David's actually unpacking, okay, who are the kinds of people that are present with God, that are dwelling in God's place? The, the one says it speaks, it's, it's people who refuse to gossip. And some of us are like, uh-oh. Like, might be an area of growth that I'm struggling with. So wait, I'm with God when I'm not gossiping. And then it also says, people who refuse to harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. So this is thousands of years ago. David is talking and he already, he understands this human tendency to trash each other, to speak evil, to not let our words matter, to say something that can be harmful and difficult. You ever hear that phrase, who needs enemies with friends like this? What a horrible phrase. Like, if you have said that, it's possible you have really bad friends. 
Like if I've been around people that say that, like, yeah, well, you know, once you get to really know him, he's still that bad. And you're like, why, why would you spend time like that? At some point, I'm like, this isn't good. This is not what friendship is meant to be like. It's not meant to be where our experience of relationships and community feels like more like enemies. We're like, yeah, you know, we're good as long as we're good. But man, they talk about me behind my back and they trash me. And like, that's not friendship as it should be. It's important that we actually think about the kind of communities that we are in and that we are creating. And so David, long before Jesus is doing the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount, is painting a picture of what does it mean to live with God? So Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to be in God's kingdom? And David is saying, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? And he's saying, who may worship in your sanctuary? Some of us that struggle with whatever we're going through, we need sanctuary, this safe place that we can be with God. Who may enter your presence, God, on your holy hill? And this, this line is so significant. Psalm 15, 4, and it's the third part of that verse says this. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. I want you to just think about that. Our invitation as followers of the way of Jesus is to be people who keep their promises even when it hurts. Even when it is difficult. Even when it is inconvenient. Even when it costs us. We are people who keep our promises even when it hurts. That's what people around us need to see that we are people who keep our promises even when it hurts. And we don't avoid the discomfort. We don't look as, at the discomfort around us of keeping our promises and go, I'm gonna avoid that. Instead, the way of Jesus is to walk towards the discomfort and to go, I'm gonna keep my promise even when it hurts. We keep our promises. We follow through. Our words actually matter even when it is difficult. Now, let me just talk on a, on a really superficial level that we need to be people that when we commit to something, we follow through, even when it hurts. So we go to co-group when we say we're gonna go to co-group, even when we're tired, because we made a promise to show up and invest in community. Or we serve when we say we are going to serve, and we care for people even when we didn't sleep well that night, even when it would be easier to stay at home and the bed seems really warm, even when someone asks us to go out the night before and we are up late, we keep our promises even when it hurts. And in our relationships, we keep our promises even when it hurts. We make commitments and we follow through even when it hurts. You wanna know why on a personal level that's so significant? I talked institutionally and rebuilding trust in the church, but on a personal level, on the other side of our commitment, oftentimes is someone who is barely staying afloat. Someone that's struggling so much and we can be consistent in the midst of their chaos. We can represent hope and hopefully healing to someone that just needs to know, is there anyone that actually cares enough to keep commitment to me? Is there anyone that actually loves me enough to follow through? When they say that they're gonna do this, are they actually going to do it? All of us know that there's so much more behind the scenes for each one of us and the weeks that we have and the struggles that we walk into. If we can be people that keep their promises even when it hurts, we can represent something better to people. We can be a counter culture. We keep our promises even when it hurts. 
This is why God's design for marriage is so crucial and the commitment that we make. This is why God invites us into a covenant. Even if, if, you, look at my, if you look at my fingers, there are two covenants that I've made. This is for September 17th. This is my commitment, my covenant to Leah and my covenant to God. There are covenants that we make. And when we make a covenant before God to marriage, there is this commitment that we make. There are vows that we exchange. I want you to think about even for a moment the vows that we often hear on TV shows or on movies or maybe you heard in person where there's the, okay, exchange your vows and if they haven't written them, it's something like this. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until parted by death, this is my vow. Now I want you to think about that vow, okay? In sickness, in death, for richer, for poorer, The circumstances do not define and determine the commitment. In fact, the commitment defines and determines the circumstances. So you go, listen, it doesn't matter whether we have nothing or everything, whether you are sick or you are well. I am committed. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to use my circumstances to give me an out. You know what? It's just kind of difficult and Uh, You know, I don't really feel like it's very convenient. No, we do not bail even when it is easier to do so. Part of the beauty of marriage at its best is that we are committed no matter what. And so then someone sees our failures and our flaws and our weakness. And instead of being met by rejection, we're met by embrace. And this is not just for marriage. This is a picture of what it should be with each other, with families, biological or not, spiritual families to be committed to one another. That when they see our weaknesses and our failures and our flaws, which are inevitable, like we avoid community because at some point someone's going to see us and they're gonna see us not the version of us that we would like to show, but instead the jacked up version that desperately needs to see Jesus. And and we we show that and we are so afraid because people often will reject or at least we're afraid of that. I think that's one of the, the lies that the enemy says. If they really knew you, then they would not love you. And instead, in our community, we want to do our best when we see failures and flaws and humanity that we, instead of running from the person, embrace them. Now, that is not to say that we become doormats. And I'm not suggesting that we ever become people that remain in relationships that are abusive I am suggesting that in those kind of scenarios that we are not quick to run, but quick to go to counsel and wise counsel and honestly reflect, is this harmful or do I need to commit? What does that look like? I I would never be, if you're in an abusive relationship, I would never say, well, keep your promise even when it hurts. Jesus would back me up that that is an acceptable reason to go, okay, this is not okay. But I think for so many of us, it's not about big things. It's little things that we make big things. In the context of relationships, whether it's marriage or in friendships, and someone does something small, like they said something that was a a slight, and we make it a big thing. And we go, well, I knew it. They were toxic anyway. They just were the worst. And you're like, or maybe they're a human being, and you could have a conversation directly and actually navigate it. You go, no, I'm out. Our tendency can be to not keep our promises even when it hurts. 
When we look at Jesus, rather than seeing a self-centered way of life that is focused on himself, instead with Jesus, we see an other-centered life that is focused on others. And Jesus was disappointed, he was betrayed, he was hurt by people, but he never gave up on them. He, He never allowed the circumstances or people to determine how he was going to follow what God invited him to do and how he was going to love people well. Jesus was not a doormat, but Jesus was not flippant in his commitment to people. In fact, Jesus gave his life fully to show and demonstrate that there was no end that he would not go to to demonstrate how much he loved us and wanted to restore us back to God. And when we become more and more like Jesus, we become people who keep their promises even when it hurts. It is so important for us. And I just want to be upfront and be honest that commitment to others is going to be inconvenient. Like if you actually commit to others and when your words are yes and you follow through, it will create environments that are not convenient. And in a culture that is obsessed with being, with convenience, I want you to know, just I'm not trying to like sell anything and then surprise you. Following Jesus in general is not convenient. Okay, if you haven't heard that or experienced that, let me just be the first one to let you know. Following Jesus, actually following Jesus, is not convenient, which is why we need to be people that have margin in our lives. We need to be people that actually have space in our lives for people that we've committed to and people that are important. Now, I just want to go back really briefly to Jesus' words of saying yes and no. There are things that we need to say no to, lesser things that we need to say no to so we can say yes to the right things and the better things. For so many of us, we say yes to everything and functionally say no to usually the most important things. I want to encourage you, be the kind of people that say yes to the things that matter the most first and then fill in the gaps after that. But if you don't do that, what ends up happening is you say yes to all these things that don't matter and you say things like, well, I'm so busy. I don't have time. I don't have time to spend time with God. I don't have time to spend time with others. That's because you said yes to all these things that don't actually matter and you lost the things that do. And you go, well, I just, you know, I have so much going on and I'm so, so busy. And then you find I'm not spending time with any people that actually restore me or help me or cause me to grow. Instead, I'm spending other time. What we say no to determines what we can say yes to. And saying that we're busy all the time at a certain point is unacceptable. Like, I, I, and I'm speaking to me too, so let me just, it's not, I'm not trying to get in your backyard. I go, I'm, I'm there too. We, here's the reality like some radical ownership, we do choose what we commit to. Like we each choose our schedules. We choose what we agree to. And so when we're like, oh, it's so busy and my life is so busy, maybe it's possible that you chose poorly. And I, I, I think about it often where for us to actually reflect on our schedules and our lives and go, have I created space for the things that actually matter? Am I committing to the things that actually matter in my life or am I just getting pulled in whatever direction. And I I find increasingly that people on this, so they'll say, I'm really, really busy. And then on the, in the other breath, they'll go, but I really want to connect with others, but I'm just so busy. We need to increasingly become a people for which our, our words and our actions, the gap between the two 
gets smaller and smaller and smaller. If we are saying, I wanna spend time with God, we need to actually have actions that commit us in that direction. If we are saying, I wanna build rich community and connect with each other, we need to have actions that actually line up with that. It is not okay and it is not enough for us to have this massive gap and we say it, I want to have a, a, a better rhythm of community but not actually follow through and commit it. And I wanna remind you when it comes to actually building relationships and community, this culture of commitment, that consistency always trumps intensity, okay? Think about when you're trying to get healthy. When you're trying to get healthy, if you work out for four hours one day in the calendar year, you are not gonna get healthy, right? Or every six months, you're like, oh, and you run a full marathon, and you're like exhausted, and you can barely, you're like, I'm getting healthy. No, how, does, how do you get healthy? Every single day, you do your best to make wiser decisions that lead in the direction that you wanna be. The same is true with our community. If we pop in once every couple months or even a month and think we're gonna somehow build rich relationships with each other, we are missing out. Because real relationships, like I, James, is, so, James is over there. James and I have been friends since 1996. James and I saw each other a lot. And there was consistency over time. And he and I experienced some times where there was tension and friction, but we committed and we continued to work on that friendship. And over time, we had this great and meaningful relationship. It did not happen instantaneously. And some of us in this culture of convenience just want instantaneously, instantaneous results. I want to connect. I want to find community. It's gonna take you some consistency. It's gonna take consistency. That's how we build real relationships with each other. They take time and they take consistent investment because over time it's where you learn, does that person's yes mean yes or their no mean no? And we can't control our scenarios and we certainly in community can't control how other people respond to us, but we can control how we contribute to this culture of commitment. We can control the words that we say and our intention to follow through. We can control our schedule and where we place things that are the most important. And so this week, you're gonna spend some time and you're gonna do some reflecting in your co-groups. You're gonna actually do a little bit of reflecting beyond just the time together and then in the time together. But I wanna invite all of us to actually do a little bit of an audit. Okay, I'm gonna have two questions that show up on the screen that I want you to ask. First, I want you to evaluate your relationships and your community and ask God this question. So right now, actually, just stand up. Okay, I want you in this moment to ask God this first question. Am I someone who keeps my promises even when it hurts? That's a dangerous question to ask God. Am I someone who keeps my promises even when it hurts? And the second one is, are my words and commitments causing me to become more or less like Jesus? What would it look like for us to be people that actually ask that of God? So I wanna invite you to do so. We're gonna, we're gonna spend some time and we're gonna worship in a moment. But I wanna invite you even to close your eyes or if you need to look at the screen, you, you can just to be reminded and actually right now ask God the question. Do a little bit of a diagnostic, ask. God, am I someone who keeps my promises even when it hurts? God, are my words and commitments causing me to become more and more like Jesus? Here's the reality fully, I just wanna be honest, we wanna help you to become more and more like Jesus. And so if your commitments and your words are not causing you to become more like Jesus, we're gonna raise a flag and say something's wrong. 
And I wanna remind those of us that are Christians that Jesus gave everything for us. Like that's what we live in, this covenant of full commitment, not just partial commitment, and we are invited to lay down our lives sacrificially for others. Am I someone who keeps my promises even when it hurts? And are my words and commitments causing me to become more and more like Jesus? I wanna spend some time, I wanna pray for everyone in the room and then we're gonna worship together. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would, like the earworm, the song that we can't quite get out of our head, that these questions would even be a reflection that we invite you into. That in our day, the rest of the day, that we think about the, the commitment level of our life and we think about what our words and commitments are shaping and forming in us. God, you want to speak to us. You see us where we are, but you don't want to keep us there. Draw us closer. God, I pray in a, in a culture where it is so easy to be flaky and bail on others that we would represent your commitment to your sons and your daughters. God, lead us. We trust you, but we desperately need you. God, we partner with what you want to do. We're not trying to just, trying to just fight and change our behaviors with sheer force of will, but instead, God, let us be people that surrender our areas of weakness to you and then begin to take steps with your help to make a change. God, we recognize that simply knowing what's wrong is not the same as doing something differently. Help us to be people that live differently. God, I pray that you would bless the people in this room with richer and richer community. That you would knit and restore and build better and better relationships. God, we love you so much. Amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, Find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.